Thank you to the worship team leading us in songs of worship. As the youth uh, are dismissed, let's now turn our full attention to the reading of God's word. I'll read it for us today. It comes from Psalm 136, verses 1, 2, and 3, and verse 26. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven, for his steadfast love endures forever. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. It is a special privilege Enjoy mine to introduce our guest speaker for today. Only try to get the best, the finest. Pastor Joel Kim currently serves as the president of Westminster Seminary in California. His school and their training and their culture has so influenced and blessed couple and several graduates uh, who work or attend this church here at CCSC. He's married to a wondrous wife, wondrous wife, Sharon. Father of two teenagers, Anna and Simeon, comes to us all the way from Escondido, California. There's not much there in Escondido, so he's probably happy to be here in Fullerton. Uh, he is nationally and internationally very well known now. Uh, and he probably goes around uh, not wanting to share this, but he's also my friend. He's my friend, a dear friend, and a great, great uh, person to get counsel and advice and encouragement and hang out with an advocate, a champion for local church, for the local church, and his heart is so unmistakably clear. One of the many things I value and appreciate about Reverend Joel is he has a larger sized cranium, larger sized head. It houses this bilingual powerhouse of like almost encyclopedic historical knowledge, New Testament doctrine, preaching, teaching, and strategic leadership type of planning. He has an enormous brain. Thank God for him. With a great sense of humor, because I know he's not offended by this. He loves it. But let's welcome up our very special guest speaker, Pastor Joel Kim, as he comes forward. Let's welcome him up. Every popular person has an unpopular friend who is a little geeky, chubby, someone that he can make fun of. That's who I am to Pastor Harold. But the relationship has lasted three decades, a couple more decades than the church here. So grateful for him and his labors here. I know he and Sonny are here because of your prayers and your labors. We're grateful for you and all the pastors that are here, dear friends, who labor so faithfully. Congratulations to you all. I bring thanks and congratulations from the staff and faculty of Westminster Seminary of California down in Escondido. It is true, there's not much there. Um, but we do hope that you come and visit us. But more importantly, seminaries don't exist for itself, but exist for the local churches like yours. 
And your partnership, um, your prayers, have been so important to us, and we're grateful for your partnership with us. And we'll be praying for you as the Lord opens up the next 10 years and next decade as you serve the church so faithfully here. Well, this morning, we want to begin with a word of prayer. Turn to Psalm 136 as we celebrate the Lord's goodness for CCSC. Let's pray. Father, we want to acknowledge you this morning as the giver of all good things, everything that CC has, CCSC has experienced, both good and the difficult come from your hands. We lift up our thanksgiving to you, O Lord, for you have been so kind to your church and the people that are here. So grateful for this time together for us to open up your word. We ask that by your spirit you teach us that with our eyes we may see the goodness and the power of your presence in our lives. With our ears we may hear your voice, subtle they may be, that we may be able to understand what you're teaching us and that you will allow us to open our hearts to understand and apply these things to our lives, not just intellectual exercises for us, the very things and truth that must be applied to our lives, for we pray these things in the matchless name of your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. When you're younger, think of a four-year-old girl who's almost four, two months to go, who lets you know every single time those two months are very important and that she's not three, but she's four. At that age, she's thinking in months, and months mean much to her. Think of a teenager who now thinks in years. I don't know how many times my teenage kids will tell me, many years ago, such and such things happened. And you realize those were three or four years ago. Not very long in most people's standards, but in their minds, they were a very long time ago. When you're about my age and you have to wear progressive lenses, if you don't know what those things are, count yourself blessed. But as you wear those things, you come to realize that you think in decades. How often have I said to myself, when I was in my 20s, or told my kids, when you get to be in your 30s, and as you celebrate the last decade, 10 years, you come to realize how quickly and fast time flies. As many of you know, aging provides us with perspectives and loves, lovers of history value the lessons learned and wisdom gained over time. But if much wisdom can be gained by thinking about years and decades, just imagine what the psalmist does with centuries, but in this case, millennia. Many, many centuries. And I do hope that this morning we will agree on one thing. For this psalm, it's hard to miss the major point that the psalmist is trying to make. That the good God is faithful to his people and worthy of our thanks. The good God is faithful to you and me and is certainly worthy of our thanks. The psalmist sets out his main point in verse 1 when he says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Perhaps you remember the story of the rich young man from Mark 10. He approached Jesus and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus' answer, or technically his non-answer, because Jesus often chooses to answer the question the person should have asked, instead of actually answering the question that the person does, where he replies with a question when he simply says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. 
Well, the psalmist is telling us why God is good. And if you and I were to ask the question, why is God good? The writer explains with a brief overview of history, human history, theological history, giving us a chance to see the whole of human history. For many of us, we struggle with modern arrogance, thinking that everything that mattered happened in our lifetime or perhaps even last year. But the psalmist is thinking big, thinking in a millennia. He talks about creation. God made the heavens, verse 5. The earth, verse 6. The great lights, verse 7. The sun, verse 8. And the moon and the stars, he says. He recounts the Lord's salvation in Exodus when God struck down the firstborn of Egypt, verse 10, brought Israel out, verse 11, divided the Red Sea in two, verse 12, made Israel pass through the midst of it, verse 13, and overthrew Pharaoh and his host. He remembers the obstacles and the battles that took place, the great kings, verse 17, the mighty kings, verse 18, the king of the Amorites, verse 19, and the king of Bashan, verse 20, who were no match for the God of gods, the Lord of lords. He took their lands and gave them to Israel. It's almost as if you're going over the history of the Old Testament. And though you and I didn't actually read these passages, that's all that is. He's going over history point by point to remind us that our God is the creator God and the redeeming God against whom no one can stand. What do we see and understand from this history lesson? Simply this, his steadfast love endures forever. At every point, it's repeated, his steadfast love endures forever. Many of us who went through the 18 months of difficulty this past year and a half can testify to how difficult life can be. And as even Pastor Harold shared, the 10 years of ministry and 15 years of ministry for him here among you, you see the ups and downs of ministry, yet we stand here together celebrating the Lord's goodness and being able to testify the same. His steadfast love endures forever. This is not because life has been easy. It's worth noting that the Pharaoh and the Egyptians are mentioned, and many of the oppositions and their kings are also mentioned in the poem. But perhaps most striking is the location of Psalm 136, for you see, there is somewhat of a debate among scholars. Those who see 150 poetry in the book of Psalms who argue that they were arranged without any reason or rhyme, simply putting together an anthology of poetry celebrating the Lord's goodness to us. And there are those who argue that these were actually intentionally arranged, that Psalm 136 follows 135 for a reason, and 137 and 8 also follow 136 with intention. And I'm of the latter camp. And the reason we mention this simple fact is that Psalm 137 is one of the saddest psalms in the Bible. Israelites are captured. They're taken as captives, taken away from their home. They're wandering so sad as they even sit. They put away their lyres and flutes because they don't want to sing anymore. Nothing seems right for them. It's not the way it's supposed to be. They're burdened beyond means. And the captors, instead of encouraging them, as you can imagine, what they would say is, sing about your home. Sing a happy song, they would demand. This is to mock them, ultimately. 
In the midst of this mockery, the psalmist says something that is very resonant with us when he says, How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? How do we sing the Lord's song in a foreign country, he says. It's like many of us, perhaps in the midst of last year, many of us who immigrated to this country like I have, or many of us who await that final home one day where we will spend our time in eternity with God, until that day we're filled with sorrow, pain, obstacles, challenges, darkness, uncertainties. How do we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? Yet, what's intriguing for us is not only Psalm 136, but surrounding 137, 138, verse 8 ends this way when the psalmist says, The Lord will fulfill his purpose for you and me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Enveloping and covering the difficulties of life is the truth that the psalmist wants us to know and remind us of. Simply this, God is good because his steadfast love for you and me has no end. Even if you forget everything else, the psalmist wants you to remember this. In fact, the way we teach our children is by repetition. And there is a bit of a repetition here. Can you tell? 26 times he repeats this line when he says, God's love has no end. His steadfast love endures forever. Seemingly simple enough, but nothing's that simple. As simple as that verse is, there is richer deeper meaning behind that particular verse. And we see the difficulty of translating this word, the word in Hebrew, hesed, that many of you might have heard of in the various preaching taking place here. You can see this in the various English translations. ESV, the one that we read, says, his steadfast love. NIV says, his love. NAS has his loving kindness. NLT has his faithful love. King James Version says his mercy. And my favorite NET says his loyal love. It's not because these are not good language scholars. Some words are just more difficult than others to translate into an exact word. Maybe you know about something about this as well. I'm Korean-American by my background, and so I'm going to actually talk about Korean-American and the language of Korean for just a sec here. Forgive me if it takes a little bit more time for you to get to where what I'm trying to explain. Um, last year and a half has introduced a bad habit for me, which is loving and watching Netflix. Um, countless hours of prayers, and then Netflix in terms of the amount of commitment that we have. But one particular series I've enjoyed is series on food. I generally like food, but the particular series I've enjoyed is this thing called the Cold Noodle Rhapsody. Have you seen it? Perhaps many of you have. If you haven't, go back home and see it. Not that I'm encouraging TV seeing uh, as the end of your game, but Dodgers are done. You can spare some time to actually look at this show. It's about Korean noodles, cold noodles, often referred to as naengmyeon. 
And so loving food, we got to watch the show, really enjoyed it. But there's this one particular scene because the origins of that particular dish is from North Korea. As many of you know, the division was finalized in 1945 after the end of World War II. And then 1950, it became permanent with the civil war that took place between North and South. Many who lived up North, including my parents, came South. And one of the foods they remember with great fondness is cold noodles or naengmyeon. But it reminds them of home is the point. One particular place to which many Koreans went, those who were fleeing the communist invasion was Busan, which is the port city on the southeastern side of the peninsula. And there, they created and recreated the food from North Korea. But one particular owner of this store, who inherited this from his dad, showed us a picture of his dad's drawing. I thought it was simply a painting, but it was actually a map. A map that his father left to him saying, if the borders open up one day, though I cannot go, he said, this is how you find your home. It's a hand-drawn map. And then next to it was his letter where he was apologizing to his father whom he left behind in North Korea, simply saying, I was a bad son leaving you. And unfortunately, I cannot see you. I pray that I will see you one day, is the letter. Bawling is what we're doing as we're watching this. And the son, in explaining, and he couldn't even finish his sentence when he says, Han, he felt, was overwhelming. Have you heard of that word, Han? And so long as your explanation to simply get to a Korean word that we don't often know how to translate. There is no direct English translation. It implies heart yearnings and burnings and ill feeling or anguish with the addition of regret and unsatisfied longing leading to a state of sadness and in some ways, melancholy. There's not one singular word that can capture the whole meaning of the word Han in Korean. The same thing can be true of the word that we're dealing with now, which is hesed. There is not one word which is indicated by the translations, that can capture the meaning of that word. The word that is used for love in this refrain means covenant love or the favor God chose to those with whom he has entered into a promised relationship. And it's enduring because God is a God of his word and he can never change. It speaks of mercy bestowed upon people who deserve the opposite, living in sin, rebellion, and hostility toward God. It is grace poured out upon people who do not deserve the riches of his blessings, having lived for oneself and not worshiping the God of creation and redemption. It is love showed to people who did not love and who even after receiving love do not love well, often professing one thing with their mouths, but actions betraying those alleged convictions in their hearts. It is covenant, love, grace, and mercy that's been fulfilled in the Son of God. That is, he's been displaying his love and mercy toward us for throughout history, and it culminated in the life and death and resurrection of his Son. 
Paul is trying to capture this in his writing in Ephesians 2, but note not the mechanism of how one is saved, but the motivation for God's salvation, choosing us despite our undeserving nature. Ephesians 2 verses 4 and following say, but God, being rich in mercy, which is the direct translation of the word, but because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. In what way? In the kindness he has shown toward us in Christ Jesus. Friends, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your doing. It is the gift of God. This is why Paul tries to say this in a very short way in Romans 5.8 when he says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were sinners, not clamoring for God, not seeking God, not going after God, but while we were still sinners, exchanging God for something else that we consider to be our gods, while we were sinners, Christ died for you and me. This is why the New Testament writers take so much pain to explain what God has been explaining and showing throughout history. His love for people who are undeserving. His grace for people who do not deserve it. His mercy toward those people who deserve the opposite. It has an unending quality. Christ Jesus is the culmination, and he's the model, and he's the reminder of God's unceasing love toward his people. Now, we recognize sometimes we can't see or feel this. And oftentimes, here, God's voice cannot be heard. God's presence cannot be experienced. And sometimes we think, well, that's because God's not there. He may say this all the time, but it doesn't seem like it's actually true experientially. Well, this may be a silly story, but perhaps I can share it this way. Um, when we got married, Sharon and I, and she is as good as Harold mentions her to be, but before we got married, I was an expert in child rearing. Um, my older sister had kids. There's nothing philosophically or theoretically I didn't know about child rearing, and I judged a lot of people for not rearing the, their children well um, until you have your own kids. But one of the things I really didn't like was how boys were treated, especially with a backpack with a tail behind. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's got a rope. And then you hold on to this rope like you're walking a dog, and then you take your children in different places. And as a, a, a non-parent, I really didn't like that very much until I had a boy. My in-laws were kind enough to set us up to go on a cruise, and for like the week leading up to it, all I can think about was him going overboard because he was really moving around a lot at about two years of age. And all I can think of is him going over the edge of the boat. So we did the unthinkable. We bought him a backpack. He doesn't know any better. He can put his cars in there, trains. He was very happy. But we were also happy too because there was about a 10-foot rope at the end. 
He's wearing this cute little thing. We're holding this thing and walking him like a dog. And we marched onto that boat with full confidence. Do you remember what that looks like? And sometimes he will walk further away from us. And as he turned around, he would see us. And he's happy and he's walking around more. Other times, as he walks away from us, people get in the way because there's, there's a crowd there. And as he turns around, he doesn't see us. And he panics, and he looks for us and comes back to us. And back and forth, this process went. But one thing he doesn't seem to fully comprehend at that age is that despite the fact that he is not seeing me or us, there's never been a moment where he was disconnected from us. Not not a moment. That rope can never be severed nor cut And we were always watchful of him. And oftentimes our relationship with God works that way where we feel like we can't see him or experience him or hear him. Yet, one thing we do know, and that's the point that the psalmist is trying to make, there's not a moment or day when his steadfast love for you has ceased nor been disconnected. And the New Testament authors remind us, no matter what the circumstances, Jesus Christ, the one who symbolized for us this steadfast love, is the same yesterday and today and forevermore. Even as we celebrate the 10 years of CCSC, the same steadfast love that oversaw the growth and the flourishing of CCSC for the last decade will be the very same steadfast love that will watch your going future even the next decade or decades to come. God is good because his steadfast love for you is forever. Being reminded of God's steadfast love and how good he is toward us, that it never ends and it never quits, then there is only one response that's possible. That's the response we read this morning. Verses 1 through 3 and 26 where it says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords for his steadfast love endures forever. And verse 26, give thanks to the God of heaven for his steadfast love endures forever. You may wonder, why does he repeat it so many times? Because you and I forget. Not only do we forget, we misinterpret the situation. Let me give you one example. A story told by a pastor about teaching his daughter how to ride a bike up the hill. She struggled with this over and over again. She tried, but there's that moment where she will start wiggling, and then she has to get off the bike and walk up her bike. Well, as she got a little older, her legs got stronger, but this hill was inconquerable. Well, there's this one occasion when he was uh, running next to her, and as she's biking, he's seeing her start to slow down. And so he went up behind her, grabbed the saddle, and he told her, pedal as fast as you can, and she did. And they, as they were running side by side, she, she biking, him running, they made it to the top of the hill, and he said she turned around and said these words that he'll always remember. She turned around with eyes glowing, mouth wide open. She said, Daddy, I did it, is what she said. 
But it's not she who did it, is it? It was the dad that supported her. Well, oftentimes as we look back upon our lives and our future, we think we did it. We think the pastors did it. We think the praise team did it. We think the teachers did it. Now, all these things are important, wonderful blessings that you and I share. But at the end, the one who did it was God. It's God who did it. If you have things to be thankful for and the church is flourishing, it's not because of any one particular person here. It's the Lord who did it. Mindful that you and I would often forget this, the psalmist reminds us, give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks doesn't fully express the meaning of the great hallelujah. Hallelujah basically means praise the Lord, and praising the Lord is impossible without giving thanks. And it repeats it 26 times how good God is so that we are able to turn to God and lift up our grateful praise to Him. I know how much it's easier said than done. Um, Many of us are that way. Certainly, I am the guiltiest one. As we sit and see what the Lord has done for the last year, protecting us. I mean, the pastors here and the elders, just imagine what it felt like last March when things were transitioning. Many of us were unaware and unsure of how things would develop from that point on. Though filled with fear then, now we look back and we give thanks to the Lord for his kindness to us. But yet, our thanks, not very often. Our hearts are prone to wander And our eyes fixate on what is missing rather than what's been given. But the psalmist simply says, give thanks, full stop. It doesn't say give thanks in perfect circumstances. It doesn't say give thanks over abundant provisions. It doesn't say give thanks in light of secure future. No, simply give thanks. Friends, even non-Christians give thanks when they are healthy Loved and successful. Have you noticed that among your friends? What makes Christianity so unique is that the spiritual and hidden realities are made visible to us. We give thanks not only when things are going well, visibly and tangibly, but we give thanks when the circumstances do not seem right. And the reason for that is because we know that the Lord is present And his constant love for you, though our hearts change, will never change. We give thanks for that reality that has come to us in Christ Jesus. And no matter where things are, no matter where things are headed, no matter what the circumstances may be, we are able to simply give thanks because God's love for us endures forever. This is why scripture reminds us over and over again. Notice this. Just as we remind our kids by repeating the same thing, Ephesians 5.20, give thanks always and for everything. You want bucket list? That's it. Give thanks always and for everything. Philippians 4.6 says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving is what he says. Paul then says again, Colossians 3.17, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord, giving thanks to God. Giving thanks to God. 
1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. John Calvin said, a sign of spiritual maturity is the ability for that individual to give thanks in all circumstances. Are you thankful, friends? Just about the 10 years? I doubt. This is indeed something to celebrate about. The Lord's been very kind to you. At the same time, as you look upon your life, your neighbors, your church, and all that is going on, and I don't even know all of you, so there may be circumstances beyond that many of us feel pain about, but yet, even in the midst of it, the Lord has been faithful. His constant love for you demonstrated in Christ Jesus does not, cannot change, for it never ends, never quits. This, is, this wasn't planned, but I was both surprised and excited to hear Pastor Harold recite Heidelberg Catechism number one, which is my favorite as well. I grew up in the Dutch Reformed churches, and that's the catechism we grew up with in the CRC. Heidelberg Catechism, written five centuries ago, so these are our spiritual forefathers reminding us of who we are, not only says that in Q&A number one, one of the best ever, there's a Q&A number 28, and so I want to end with this. For the question asks, how does the knowledge of God's creation and providence, providence is basically a complicated word to indicate, God superintends everything. He is in control. The word that we use, he is sovereign over all things, is what's indicated by providence here. How does God's providence help us? And the answer goes this way. We can be patient in adversity thankful in prosperity. And for the future, we can have good confidence in our faithful God and Father that no creature will separate us from his love. For all creatures are so completely in his hand, Romans 8, that without his will, they can neither neither move nor be moved. My prayer for you, beloved CCSC, and my friend, and the friends who are ministering and leading this congregation, is that the Lord be with you in such powerful, present ways that you all can be patient in adversity because he's in the midst of it, that you are thankful in prosperity because he's done it all. And for your future, confidence is not found in ourselves, but we can have good confidence in our faithful God and Father that no creature, certainly nothing in this world, can separate CCSC, Pastor Harold, all the elders and pastors here from his love. May the Lord bless you, that you continue this faithful labor here in Fullerton and Artesia, that the Lord continues to flourish the church for his namesake. And many who know Christ Jesus himself will come to a deeper and greater understanding of his love that has come to us in Christ Jesus. And those who don't may taste the goodness of the Lord for the first time. Let's pray together. Father, we give you thanks. 
for the ways that you have blessed the ministry of Christ Central in Southern California so that as they lift up the name of Christ Jesus on high, that many have come to know and experience Christ Jesus, many have come in repentance to be a follower of Christ Jesus. We are so grateful for the ways that you have guided, provided, and protected this ministry for the last 10 years. But we know this is just the beginning, not because we know the individuals or the people who are hard at work, though we're grateful for their gifts and their faithfulness. We know this because of your faithfulness to us. Your steadfast love for the church at CCSC, for the people of CCSC, will have no end and will never quit. Allow us to experience and see and ultimately give thanks for the love that you have for all of us. For we pray these things in the incredibly loving son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who has come to die on our behalf. It's in his name. Amen.